Turn with me this morning in your Bible to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to read from the verse 10 right through to the verse 23. Let's hear the word of the Lord. As you're finding the place, this will be the last time in this series of messages that we read from Philippians chapter 4, so that's why I'm turning back to the verse 10. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, let's hear the word of the Lord. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me have flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus those things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. And all the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. We trust and pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning, if you look at your Bible, is taken from Philippians chapter 4, verse 23. And this is what it says. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Here's the Apostle Paul's final benediction or final word to the church at Philippi. Philippians 4.23 constitutes or contains the final words that the Apostle Paul wanted to say to the whole congregation in Philippi. Now, in all of Paul's letters, he signed off, as was his custom, with a reference to the grace of God. For example, in the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 18, he says, 
Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 6 and 24, that's what I've just read. In Galatians, he says, Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And over in the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 18, he says, The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you all. Amen. And over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 28, he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And of course, the same thing was said to the Corinthian church. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Now, each of these benedictions, they are rich, and yet they're very diverse. They're individual benedictions. I believe they're tailored to each particular congregation. And the language indicates that they're not merely just flat statements devoid of real meaning. The Apostle Paul is not merely just following a social custom to sign off a letter. It's not merely a wooden sort of liturgical form to accommodate the ending of a letter. No, each of these benedictions, rich as they are, diverse as they are, they are all tailored, I believe, to the needs of the individual congregation to whom the Apostle Paul was writing. And despite the, the, the variety of terminology in them, one theme stands out supreme. One theme stands out central, and that theme is the grace of God. Every one of them mentions the grace of God. So I want you to understand, as we finish Paul's letter this morning to the Philippian church, that Philippians 4.23 is not a mere empty form of words. It's not just an empty formula to, to close the letter. The words, I believe, convey a deep spiritual reality of the Apostle Paul's heart toward the Philippian church. He desired above many things that they would fully live under the canopy of the grace of God. And this constituted his desire for each and every believer in the church at Philippi. And remember, he has conveyed greetings to them from all the saints at Rome. The brethren that are with me greet you, especially they that are of Caesar's household. And we thought about that last week, and we encourage you to listen again to that sermon. Many have done that. But as he conveys this word of greeting from all the saints that are in Rome to all the saints that are at Philippi, he's desiring that the saints at Philippi would live under the canopy of the grace of God. And therefore he says, he adds these words, possibly in his own handwriting, the grace be with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, I've thought of this subject, and I could have easily have skipped over, as many have done, and left it off, or just added on to the end of last week's sermon, which many, of course, have done in their commentaries. But there were four things came to mind as I thought of these words. And they came to me in bed. 
And that's a good place to get a thought, isn't it? The first thought that came to me was this. The subject discussed. Look at the words. The grace of. Now, what do we mean by grace? It's crucially important that you understand this subject. So, so how do you define grace? What does the word mean? When you take the word grace in your lips, when it's in your mind, what do you think about? Well, let me give you a little acrostic. God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's a good definition. And it's important that you get a grasp, at least of that. That this is what grace means. God's riches at Christ's expense. There was a minister and he was visiting a sick lady. He asked her, um, are you religious, dear? And she said, all my religion is bound up in that card. Pick it up, he says. Take a look at it. So he picked it up. He took a look at it. There was one word in the card. And this is what it said in black lettering, bold lettering. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. You see, Christianity is a religion of the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 2 and 11 tells us, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. You see, the gospel is rooted and founded on the amazing grace of God that we've been singing about. The gospel is really the setting forth of the great truth that salvation is all of the grace of God from start to finish. So I asked this morning, have you tasted the grace of God? Do you, do you glory in the grace of God? Do, do you define it as God's riches at Christ's expense? Now, that's a good working definition, but I have to tell you something. That's not the full or meaning of the word. The meaning of grace is multifaceted. In other words, there's many sides to it. You see, it's not only God's expense, but it's God's favor to the ill-deserving or God's riches to the ill-deserving or the undeserving. Or, or as one person has put it, God's favor to the hell-deserving sinner who's a criminal and a lawbreaker. And you see, that's another aspect of grace. And also, here's a third concept. Grace is also the full spectrum of God's provision that he bestows towards sinners in Christ. Now, now, what I want you to think of is these concepts, I don't want you to think of them just abstractly, but I want you to think that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, but it's more than that. It's his favor to someone who's ill-deserving, undeserving, because they're a lawbreaker, and it's also the fullness of God's provision to the undeserving sinner in Christ. These are not mere abstract things that I've told you. These are not just concepts that are devoid of spiritual reality. They are real spiritual truths. Let me put it simply for the children. It's God's favor to a lawbreaker. 
And they haven't earned that favor. It comes free. And it's only for the undeserving, the ill-deserving, the hell-deserving sinner. Let, let me illustrate this. Suppose you've got a knock at the door. And there's an old tramp at the door. And he's dirty and he's smelly and he's hungry and he's cold. And he says to you, I would like to come into your house for a meal. I would like lunch, please. What would you do? Would you tell him to clear off? Or would you, out of love, bring him in and give him the meal? I, I, I want to tell you that's what would happen at the manse. Rosie would bring him in and give him a meal. Nobody's turned away from our door, day or night. It's an open house, so you're all invited. Just let me know when you're coming and I'll not be there. All right? But suppose, suppose the same man, the old tramp, you've brought him in and he's got a meal and he steals some of your valuable jewellery. Maybe a few rings. Maybe it's a bit of money that's sitting about. Maybe it's a silver pot. And a few days later, he comes back. Now remember, he's now a thief in your eyes. He's a criminal. He's a lawbreaker. And he comes knocking at the door. And he comes asking again for a meal. And you bring him in. And you give him the meal. That's what grace is. You see, you haven't just done it out of love. But that man is undeserving. That man's ill-deserving of that meal. But you have given him that, and that's grace. That's how God treats us. Let me illustrate again. I want you to take you this time to the land of Brazil. I want you to think of a mother called Maria. I want you to think of a daughter called Christine. There's other family members. But, But this family live in a wee village. In the land of Brazil. And they're struggling to make ends meet. It's a poor house. uh, Lack of space. Cramped conditions for the children. Two or three in a room. They've they've got pallets for, for a bed with a mattress lying on it. They have a wooden stove. Food is sparse. And one of the girls, Christine. Well, she has grown up in this home, but she's very sad. She She's discontent. And, and she, she's a young girl, and she, she thinks to herself, you know, I could have a better life in the city. I, I'm going to go to Rio de Janeiro. And one day she just disappeared from the home. And when the mother realized she was gone, of course she was heartbroken. She had no mobile phone, she couldn't contact her. And she knew that for her daughter in Rio, that life in the streets... Well, she knew what that would mean for a young girl. So she hit upon a plan. This is what she did. This is a true story, by the way. So listen carefully. She went to the bus station. And she went into the photo booth. And she used the money that she had to get photographs of herself. And she had a lot of them. And then she only had enough money left for the bus to Rio... And she got on the bus. You see, her daughter, of course, living in Rio on the streets. Mother knew she had no way of earning money, except by selling herself. She knew that the daughter was stubborn. 
that the daughter would not give up easily and come home. The daughter was full of pride. and She knew that the daughter was difficult. And she knew that as a girl she would have to do things that girls would not normally do, even unthinkable things. She would have to adapt to, to survive. So she went to where the, the hotels were and the nightclubs and the bars and she placed a picture of herself with a, a message in the back in every bathroom mirror that she could, in every lamppost, in the phone booth, in hotel lobbies where there was a, a notice board. And at the back of it she put a message. Now this was the message. Whatever you've done, Whatever you have become, come home, there is grace for you. Some months passed. Tropping down the stairs in a hotel in Rio was young Christine. Her eyes were not sparkling the way they used to. Her hair was messed up a bit. Her face was full of fear. Her dreams of being a fashion model, well, well, they were broken. And this young girl felt that she was living in a nightmarish situation. And as she dropped down the stairs, she was thinking to herself, you know what, I've made my bed, I have to lie in it. My village is too far away. I, I, I feel in a trap. And as she came down the stairs, her eyes flipped on a familiar face as she scanned this notice board. And it was the face of her mother. She stopped for a moment and she looked at it. She put her hand and she picked it off the notice board and as she flipped it over, she saw a message in the back. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, come home. There is grace for you. And you know what? That's exactly what Christine did. That prodigal daughter came home from Rio de Janeiro back to her village she repented of her sin. She was reconciled to her mother. And she was received with grace. And you see, that's how God treats us, men and women, young people, boys and girls. He treats us only and always on the basis of grace. Yes, we're sinners. Yes, we're lawbreakers. Yes, we've done despicable things. Yes, we sin in thought and word and deed. But if you have a felt consciousness of your sin, and you've never repented of your sin, and haven't been reconciled to God, then I want you to understand that God has a message for you this morning. And it's this, whatever you've done, whatever you've become, come home to me, because there's grace for you. That's the subject that's discussed here. The grace of. Now notice the source that's disclosed. It says, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that the source is not an institution. He doesn't say the grace of the church. You see, the church is not a rich depository of the grace of God. It's not the church that's the source of grace. It's Christ. We need to discover that. Notice, it's not a sacrament. 
The source of grace is not sacramental. The source of grace is in the Savior. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now I'm emphasizing that to show you this, that the grace of God is inseparably linked to the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to turn there in your Bible to John's Gospel, look with me at John chapter 1 for a moment. And we read there in John chapter 1 of the Lord Jesus, it says, in verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Do you see that? The fullness of grace resides in him. The source of the grace of God is the Lord Jesus himself. He's the one that you need to know. He's the one that you need to run to. God's great reservoir of divine favor to the ill-deserving, the undeserving, the hell-deserving sinner is funneled or challenged through the Lord Jesus Christ. The true and the living God this morning takes delight to bestow grace upon us, but only through the Lord Jesus Christ, being the appointed mediator of the New Testament. If I asked a very simple question, young people, boys and girls, how does the grace of God come to us, this great subject? Here's the answer, via the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice the words Lord, that's a reference to his deity. It identifies him as God incarnate. Great is the mystery of God, and as God was manifest in the flesh. We've already read John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. The one who died, the one who was crucified in Mount Calvary, was not a madman, young people. It was not one who was demented with a mistaken notion of who he was. No, I believe that the Lord Jesus was full of self-consciousness. He was fully conscious of who he was. Remember he said, I and my Father are one. And over there in the book of Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians at chapter 8 and the verse 9, we read the words, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. He was rich in his person. Do you regard him this morning as God in the flesh? The Lord of glory? Do you know that this Lord of glory has been made both Lord and Christ? He's been gifted by God to be the supreme sovereign power in the whole of the universe, over creation, over the church, as a reward for the work of his obedience unto death. Do you regard him as Lord? Are you in subjection to him? Have you bowed the knee to him like Thomas and said, My Lord and my God? Remember, he said, why do you call me Lord and not do the things that I say? It's incompatible. The pattern of our life as a Christian must be that we're under the Lordship of Christ. 
Notice the reference to Jesus. That's a name associated with the incarnation. Wasn't that the name that the angel Gabriel told Joseph? Matthew chapter 1, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Luke 1 and 30, Mary got the same revelation. You're going to have a son, and his name's going to be called Jesus. And the name reflects his perfect manhood. The Lord Jesus was a perfect man. A real true man of flesh and blood. And we could say, well, Jesus said this. Jesus did that. Jesus went here. And yet, in all his sayings and doings and goings, he did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. As I've said, he was the only sinlessly perfect man that ever lived. Think of this reference to Christ. It's a reference to his ministry. Christos. It means God's anointed one. The the word Christ is really a reference to the office that he fulfilled. He was God's anointed prophet to, to teach and tell us the way of salvation. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than all the prophets. He came as God's anointed priest. Not only to pray, that's one of the functions of the priest, but but to offer up himself a once and for all final sacrifice for sin. But we read of Christ, but this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. And he's God's anointed king. He's already king of kings and lord of lords. He's seated on the throne of the universe. And he's administering all of God's great covenant promises to all his holy elect people everywhere throughout the world. And this one, this man who's God incarnate, this perfect sinless man, this one who is king of kings and lord of lords, he is the only true source of grace. And can I tell you, young people, he has got a a, a wonderful plan for your life. And at the heart of that plan is this purpose to bestow and administer grace upon you. And I asked this morning, do you know him? Is he your Lord and Savior? Have you come to his cross and confessed your sinnership and pleaded the merits of his blood and asked him to deal with you on the basis of grace? That's the source. Not only the subject, but the source. I want you to think thirdly of the sufficiency described. Look at our text. It says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Did you know there's 159 references to the word grace in the Bible? The first reference, of course, is in Genesis 6 and verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We were thinking about that in Sunday school this morning. Do you know the last reference, the book of Revelation? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That was how John signed off the book of the Revelation. Think of the word all. Every one of the saints. Isn't that tremendous? Think of the context here. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. Every saint in Christ Jesus, God has grace, amazing grace, 
to meet their every need. And the grace of God, therefore, is the ultimate source of strength for living the Christian life. And the grace of God is the ultimate source of every comfort and help that we need. The grace of God is the ultimate source of every incentive for holy living. Turn over there this morning as we come to a finish. To 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. I have a couple of references that I want you to look up. Here's grace to suffer with bodily illness and pain. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, it says, And he said unto him, he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, see, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He had, he had a problem with defective eyesight. According to the book of Galatians, it was a big handicap. And he went to God three times and he prayed, Lord, take this away. The Bible tells us he prayed three times. And God can answer yes. God can tell us to wait. But you know, God can say no. And, that, and that's what he was saying to Paul. And Paul was wondering, well, well, how am I going to cope? Lord, I've got bodily illness. I'm in real pain here. And here's the answer. My grace is sufficient for you. And I believe the Lord can heal. But I also believe the Lord can help. And maybe you're here this morning and you're actually suffering bodily illness and pain. And it's a real struggle and you wonder how you're going to get through the day and how you're going to cope. Well, you can go to God and you can ask him, Lord... Give me grace just to get through today. Give me grace as I struggle with this bodily pain. Give me grace, Lord, as I have victory in relation to this bodily illness. What about grace for hardship and trials and the troubles of life? When life's battles and life's pressures and problems become too much for you. Remember what we read there in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward ye. Always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. In every situation. In hardship and trial and trouble. What about grace to repent? Do you know that the church faces many problems in its life? Think of the seven churches in Asia, various problems. There was defects, there was flaws, there was faults. There were sins and shortcomings, there was apostasy, there was lukewarmness, there was the need for repentance. And the wonderful thing is that the Lord wasn't finished with those churches. Those churches were given space and opportunity to repent and change and do better. To have a new start, to a new opportunity, to rebuild. And you know, the truth is we offend in many things. And, and our hearts are not really full of the fruits of righteousness. And we can be self-centered. And we can be self-seeking. And sin can be a big problem. But here's the ultimate source of comfort. We have an advocate, a champion, a friend in heaven called the righteous advocate the Lord Jesus and he has grace for us and he tells us let us come to the throne of grace that we obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need and there's grace to repent isn't that amazing 
What about grace for the martyrs? You think of those that in the first century, as well as in the 21st century, have laid down their life, literally being beheaded for the testimony of the Lord Jesus, not surrender their loyalty to him, not not refuse to, to, to lie for him. Faithful unto death. I believe there's such a thing as dying grace. I believe as well there's grace to work and witness for Christ. It's not easy among family and friends. You maybe think to yourself, well, 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 I don't know how I could do it. How can I do this and that? Well, remember, we've already read Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And how does he strengthen me? He gives us this portion of grace to be able to do it. What about grace when we face temptation? Over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and in the verse 13, the apostle Paul said this, There have no temptation taken you, but such as come unto man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. And what's God's way to escape? It's through the grace of God. Temptation's not unique. It's not something that's a way out there on its own. Temptation's a reality for for all of God's people. But when we're tempted to sin, we don't have to give in to that temptation. We're we're able to bear it. Temptation is common to God's people. But God is faithful. And God is gracious. You think of Peter, that, that backslidden soul who denied the Lord with oaths and cursings. Someone who was very weak in his own strength and power. Who boasted, Lord, I'll never leave you. I'll never deny you. And, and yet that's what he did. And yet it was, it was grace that restored him. The psalmist said, he restoreth my soul. Here's the sufficiency that's described. The grace of God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. You see, it's grace for every need. Grace for every situation. There's even grace to pray. Maybe you feel as a Christian, well, I have difficulty in praying. You spend little time in prayer. You ask for so little. But we can have grace to pray. Grace for all time. For all circumstances. For all of the saints. The minister, the elders, the deacons, the members, the weak ones, the joyful ones, the sad ones, the tempted ones. Don't put yourself outside of that. Rejoice. Recognize. Receive the sufficiency of God's grace. And one final thing. The security that's declared. Notice the last word. Amen. That lets you know it's over. But the word amen is not just the end of a prayer. That you know it's finished. It literally means so let it be. And that's what Paul was saying when he used the amen. 
Lord, so let it be that the saints in Philippi, every one, the youngest to the oldest, will taste and know and experience the grace of God, that they live under the canopy of this grace. Lord, let it come to pass. Let it stand. And that's the security that we have. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Now this morning, I don't know every situation and every need. But whether you're struggling with bodily illness, you have a trial, you have a hardship that only you know, and you feel weak and you can't pray, and maybe you've succumbed to temptation and there's some sort of sin there, and you're struggling with that, or you want to work and witness for Christ and you haven't done that, and you've shied away and feel you're ashamed of the Savior, and you bear that, what can you do? Well, we can go to God. We can ask at the throne of grace for grace to help in time of need. This is a vast subject. The source is important, but you need to see the sufficiency. Grace for all time, for every situation, for every saint. And that's something you can be assured of. Something that you can rejoice in. May the Lord take these few stumbling, stammering words and bless them to 